Well, welcome back, friends, to Theology with Friends. And I have a semi-new friend today, um, Mrs. Emily. Thank you for joining. Yes, so good to be here. Yeah, so there's a lot about you that I'm going to learn about today. But I've got a decent scope. I know that you run a YouTube channel um, under your name, Emily Grinstead. (laughs) Am Am I saying Grinstead right? Yes, you got it, Grinstead, yes. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. I kept wanting to say grin steed, like some sort of horse, but. Um, Everyone, yep, but... yep, that's very common. <laughs> <laughs> so what I love about your content is that it is um, all encompassing. Like it's the lifestyle, it's the, you know, your schooling, it's what you're passionate about. And then it's like stuff with your now fiance, which I just saw you got back from a bachelorette trip. Right? Yes. <laughs> Mama so Mia themed or something, you know? Yes, the best movie ever. <laughs> I watched Mamma Mia with my mom uh, when I was like 13. And oh I actually really liked it when I was it's, 13. That's, yeah. that's you have great tastes. <laughs> Apparently so. So um, what I'd love to hear first about from you, um, there's a lot to talk about, but I don't know if I have this completely correct, but did you meet your current fiance on Hinge? I did. Yes, you we did. did. We did. Yep. Good old dating so, app. I need to hear all about this hinge husband life. I need to hear about that. Oh, yeah. How did you meet? How did it get to, you know, all the way? Did you delete the app? I mean, what are we talking? <laughs> oh, yeah. So there's so much that goes into this. So I have to call out Jenna McClear because she's very involved in this story. She's one of my best right. friends. And last year, her and I and our friend Miriam did something called Full Send 2022, where we were going to I'll go back on the dating apps and we were all single at the beginning of the year. And we were like, yeah, let's go. This is our year to just put ourselves out there and meet guys and go on some dates and get over this, you know, fear of dating apps or this assumption that you can't meet someone on a dating app. And Miriam is about to get married in two weeks to her, John, who she met on hinge last year. And we got, which was so fun. He's the best. And Jenna and I get to last December and we both were still single and said, you know what, let's each challenge ourselves to go on one more date before the end of the year. And we both got sick and we were traveling and all this stuff happened, but I was like, no, I want to go on one more date. And so I was home in Houston, Texas with my mom and we were talking about dating and she says, Emily, you know, I think you're going to meet your person soon. And when you do, it's going to happen really fast. And we always joke that my mom is like low-key prophetic or something because (laughs) she said that. And a couple days later, I said, you know what? One more date. So I re-downloaded Hinge on December 28th, matched with Justin, my fiance, and we went on a date on New Year's Eve. And we're getting married on New Year's Eve of this year. Oh, no way. Exactly a year later. That is awesome. Yeah. So that is like the success story that you should be a sponsor you should be a sponsor of Hinge. We always do. Like Hinge needs to pay us because we can get more people to use Hinge. That is so funny. They should totally have a system like that. Well, yeah. I'm, you know, super happy for y'all. Congratulations. You're almost yeah. there, right? Yeah. So Maybe close. a month and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah. 40 something days at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I'd love to hear more about um, your YouTube channel. I feel like that can branch off into other questions I've got, but I'd love to hear about that start because you're pretty consistent, right? Two times a week at least, right? Yeah, which is so funny because I only started getting more consistent with it the past few months. But I guess, yeah, backstory on it. I've, yeah, grad school, you know, gets in the way of a lot of things that you're wanting to do. But 
I started that channel, I think January, 2021, I, it was kind of a COVID idea for me. So I was in my first nursing degree. I'm in nurse practitioner school right now. And I was at Duke for nursing school when COVID hit and I was in my second semester. I know we love Duke. (laughs) And it was just a chaotic time. And of course, everyone turned to different hobbies and things they were, you know, interested in like bread making or whatever during COVID. And I got really into YouTube and I was watching these different Christian YouTube channels and I had just gone through a breakup. So I was Googling all sorts of stuff like, oh, you know, how to get back into dating, how to figure out boundaries and just got really hooked on these channels and found a lot of wisdom and just comfort and encouragement and people who were sharing their lives and their stories, whether it was with dating or faith or just lifestyle kind of stuff. And, you know, when you're feeling so isolated and I had my friends, I had people during COVID, but I had so much extra time that it was a really sweet opportunity to get to learn from other people. And so I was watching some channels that I liked and I was like, you know what? I could do this. I think this would be really fun. And I feel like I've learned a lot and have some things to share. And so I had this idea kind of sparked then and then didn't start it until the next year. Um, The kind of how it's been for the past few years, it's been very off and on just because Mm -hmm. I started grad school in the middle of it and have been just trying to navigate how do I incorporate this into my schedule while still prioritizing, you know, school and other areas of life. But I've had more free time recently. And so it's been cool to get to actually prioritize it. Yeah, yeah, which I've seen and have enjoyed some videos as well. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, let's just jump right in. We're already talking about hinge husbands. So let's talk about boundaries and, you know, all the hard stuff. You've done a lot of videos on this. So I will let you speak first. I want to learn and glean from you um, about what it looks like. I I got married very young. And so, you know, the whole idea of like, I was involved heavily in the youth group. So boundaries was huge. We were 15, 16. So it was like all I heard about. It was borderline purity culture madness. So um, that was my life. So I know, you know, it's been a while. I know about it, but it's been a while. What does it look like for somebody dating in this new world of online dating and figuring out boundaries? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole ordeal. And I think it really depends, like you said, where you come from and like church background. And so I also like, grew up in the church. I grew up Methodist and I actually didn't get a lot of purity culture, which I'm really thankful oh, for. I good. it's it's good. I definitely absorbed it like from my friends and from, you know, TV shows and stuff like that. But I didn't get it from my parents or from church, at least that I remember. I had this sex. Well, it wasn't a sex talk. It was a sex book that I was given when I was oh. like, Oh, yeah. Old. It was called like God's gift to married couples or something. Well, you were eight? You were I eight? was really young. I was very precocious. I had a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> so they gave you a book. Was this like, you know, a picture book or was it like a full novel? It was a picture book. So I think I was in the second or third grade. I definitely was asking my mom, like, where do babies oh come gosh. from? And she put this book. She's like, oh, there's something on your bed you can go read. And it was definitely made for kids. You know, it was appropriate okay. pictures and sure. stuff. But it was, I can't remember if it explained how things work anatomically or not, but uh-huh. I read the book and I was really freaked out and just thought, this is weird. I don't like this. As, yeah. As one does. <laughs> as an eight-year-old. Yeah. Like that's an appropriate response, I think. <laughs> and so I just, yeah, didn't really think about it much. I think it was middle school and, you know, you're going through puberty, starting to have feelings, crushes on guys, all of that. And I definitely yep. heard, you know, 
people in the cafeteria talking about things. And so I would just go home and Google it and ended up on some sketchy sites I probably shouldn't have been on, you know, like I just didn't know who to talk to about people saying yeah. different terms and things. And that was kind of my education was these random books or Googling. Um, and I had the the body book for girls. I don't know if Miley had this or if you've heard of this. Never heard of the body book. Never. The body book. It is an American girl doll brand oh is teen girls about it's actually pretty good about puberty and all the things so that's what's kind of my like sex education yeah the body book okay okay um yeah i've never heard of the body but i i am like i don't know how i'm gonna talk to my kids about this yet i mean obviously like we're pretty big on like using the real terms for you know your stuff and so, I mean, we're starting there and we're just, you know, you know, there, there's, that's a whole nother subject. So how did you get into uh, the boundaries? How did you sort of set those after, you know, you didn't experience much purity culture. So I'm sure, you know, you were learning a lot, you know. Yeah. So my story with boundaries definitely overlaps with eating disorder story. And so I, when I, I didn't, didn't date until college. So I went from, you know, wow. middle school trying to figure out, you know, what my body was doing, what the things I was feeling, all of that. I started having or experiencing anorexia when I was 14 and was pretty deeply in that until early mid college. And so because of that, you know, what happens when the body is starved is any sex hormones just really are at very low levels because there's no reason to preserve energy to reproduce if your body just needs basic energy to keep the heart beating and your brain functioning. And so all of that really shut down for me and, um, you know, just lose any sex drive, just reproductive functioning, all of that really shuts down just from a biological sense. And so I, my brain wasn't even there at all. Um, I was just totally focused on school and I was a dancer at the time. So that dating wasn't even on my mind because I wasn't even interested in it. And so once I started going through recovery when I was 19, um, 2021, kind of in there during college, I started having a sex drive again and having sexual feelings. And that was really healthy knowing that, you know, my body is getting back to where it needs to be. Um, And kind of at that time, I was really involved in a student ministry, RUF at my college, which I loved and was in a sorority and just kind of, you know, getting more interested in guys and started dating my college boyfriend when I was 21. That was kind of my first true dating experience. And because I had no experience with dating, hadn't had my first kiss, any of that, I just didn't know anything. And I had grown up with this idea of, okay, you know, God says to save sex for marriage, but I didn't really know why. And I knew, you know, in my head, like sex is off limits, but everything else, like there's so much between holding someone's hand and having sex that I just hadn't given much thought to what is okay in between. And so that relationship, we kind of went from zero to a hundred. And I've talked about this in my YouTube channel, didn't have sex, but crossed like all the other boundaries. Mm. And after we broke up, that just left me like very confused and very, just not feeling great. It's like, well, we didn't have sex, but I don't feel good. (laughs) Like, I don't like what happened. I don't think that this was something that was honoring to myself or to him or to God. And 
it just, yeah, it was a very messy time for me. And I spent the next couple of years just figuring out, okay, what does God say about sex? Like what yeah. does the Bible actually say? What do wise people who have walked this before me, what have mm-hmm. they learned? Um, how can I do this better next time? And in the way that is honoring to the way that God made women's bodies and men's bodies and in a way that's honoring of marriage, but that's also recognizes that sexual desire is a good thing and that sex is inherently a good thing. But how do we figure that out within his bounds? So that was kind of the start of all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, well, first, thank you for sharing. Um, Yeah. I'd love to talk about the eating disorder and mental health. Yeah. So what did you come out on the other end with, you know, after maybe the college relationship and you were downloading Hinge, getting back into dating, what was on your mind, how to honor God and what you worked through in your own experience? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's funny, I hadn't dated until I was 21, but then I went kind of from relationship to relationship for a little Mm -hmm. bit and definitely was not fully healed from the first one and was like getting back into dating a little too quickly. And so I had three different relationships within the course of like a year or two. And it was after my third relationship ended right when it was the week COVID started actually, which was funny. It was like, we broke up, COVID started, everything just changed at once. And Mm -hmm. I just, that relationship wasn't the best. It was very short lived and just not the right guy. And I was feeling very just confused and upset with God about, you know, where are the good men? And (laughs) I mean, it's so real. I think really since COVID so much has changed with the dating world that you don't really walk into school or a bar or the grocery store and meet someone as much as you might have before. Um, I think it's just really changed the way that we even approach being social and approach dating. Um, And so, yeah, I just took the next, it was about three years before between that relationship and when Justin and I met to really deep dive into mostly just how to live my single life in a way that was fulfilling. Also, sorry, I've got trains and stuff outside. Um, I, yeah, I really spent that time wrestling with this idea of, okay, I'm not promised marriage. None of us are promised marriage. Like Jesus was single and he lived a whole perfect life. And so we, marriage isn't something that's elevated above singleness. It doesn't mean that you're better, a better Christian or more spiritually mature or something like that. Um, And I can live a full life without getting married. And so that was the big thing for me in recognizing that my life is complete without that. And it would just be an added blessing to even be able to get married. And that's not something that God has promised me, but that he also cares about that desire too. And so that was a lot of the wrestling. And in that, just kind of realizing, okay, I'm not dating right now. How do I use this time wisely to figure out what my boundaries are? And not from a place of shame for past mistakes, but from kind of just preventatively feeling prepared for that next relationship if it were to happen. So for me, um, it was a lot of actually looking at um, what, you know, sexual immorality even is in scripture. And so looking at like the Greek word porneia was something that was really helpful for me. And I am not in div school i'm not a theology scholar by any means but i looked at like the blue blue letter bible website was really helpful love blue letter bible it's great it's great and that was helpful in just looking at like what does it actually mean to be sexually immoral and kind of taking a holistic view of sex as well of like sex isn't just intercourse it's a lot of other things and Hmm. that helped me a lot um yeah i could ramble about this for a while (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I guess if anybody wants to go any deeper into that, uh, topic, you do have some videos on it where I'm sure you go 
go even deeper. So I'd love to take um, a step aside and talk about um, just how you overcame um, your struggle with um, an eating disorder. Am I saying these terms correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Eating disorder. Yeah. Disordered eating things like, yeah. I'd love to hear about that um, and maybe how your faith um, found its way in that mix of recovery and things like that. Yeah, for sure. That's also a long story. Um, And there's lots of pieces there. And it's interesting because that overlaps a lot with all of this sexual ethics stuff as well and kind of where I'm at now career-wise. But um, yeah, so I, the shorter version of that is always grew up um, in a smaller body. I was very active, had a high metabolism, had always been just a petite person and kind of, you know, grew up in that southern diet culture stuff of you have to be like small and little and pretty and i think a lot of that's tied up into our idea of whiteness as well which is a whole separate conversation but i definitely had a lot of that internalized pressure just from my family and culture to be small and was in the dance world as well and that definitely contributed to just body awareness and so as i was going through puberty in middle school and you know my body was changing didn't love it i just started kind of taking things into my own hands mm. started you know counting calories exercising in ways that i didn't enjoy but that i thought would change my body I got really into running, all of these things, and just started losing weight. Uh, But I did it in a way that was very sneaky because I do have a really high metabolism. I was able to eat a lot, but Mm. still lose weight. And so I kind of was able to hide it for a while. Um, And it wasn't really until my pediatrician noticed I wasn't meeting certain milestones that he was just really concerned. Um, But I just really brushed it off. And the thing about anorexia is it can just be very deceptive and it's not the person that's, you know, wanting to lie about things and be sneaky, but I really think it's that disorder that just takes over your brain and, Mm. you know, hides food and lies about what you've eaten and all of that. And so at the time I was just very wrapped up into that, very sick in high school. And what was happening kind of parallel at the same time was, you know, I'd grown up in the faith and, I would say I became a Christian at summer camp when I was seven. You know, we went to Canacuck. I don't know if you know Canacuck. Uh, it's a sports, Christian sports camp. And, you know, oh, we have cool. nights where you go and ring the bell if you accepted Christ. And um, it was really sweet. But I don't think I really made my faith my own until college when I was in recovery. And so kind of between those two points when I was struggling with my eating disorder and just wanting to change my body and starve myself to feel, you know, a sense of control and to feel accepted and beautiful and all of that. I was also had this very legalistic view of my faith and those kind of were tracking at the same time and thinking that oh, if I eat a certain way that God's going to approve of me more or because I'm not, you know, eating poorly or out drinking or sleeping around, these things make me better than my classmates. And I'm therefore like a better person, a better Christian, very, very self-righteous, legalistic kind of stuff. And so my understanding of the faith was very warped at the time. And it wasn't until recognizing, you know, what I was struggling with that this was not something that God wanted for me and wanted for my health and my body. Um, did like my faith actually start to shift and for me to see like, okay, I am broken and in need of Christ, just like everyone else, even though the things I struggle with might look different from what someone else is struggling with. And so that shift didn't really happen until college. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Was therapy involved or maybe um, some sort of 
help in that sort of way? The mental health stuff, did that sort of arrange around that same time? Yeah. So a big part of just treatment in general from an eating disorder is usually meeting with a therapist, dietitian, and then some sort of medical provider just to make sure things are tracking along as they should. And so I've been in therapy for goodness, probably eight, nine years now, off and on for different reasons, most of which that early time was for eating disorder recovery. And so I would say from 1920 until almost 27. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just cool to hear your story and be proud in a way, you know, like overcoming such a terrible and hard pain. Yeah. So once again, thank you for sharing that. Um, You have been pretty open about mental health and taking medicine. And um, I don't know how much I've shared, but the past three, four years, I kind of just had an epiphany that apparently I'm a, a pretty bad worrier. Um, and sometimes if I'm under pressure, it can, you know, severely affect me, um, uh, come out in anxiety and depression and things like this. And actually about two years ago, I was technically diagnosed with bipolar two, which is manic depression. So, um, you know, just you experience mania, a toned down mania, and then really bad depression. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I was cycling through and through and, um, because my boss at the time, who was uh, boss, pastor, ministry life, he was my boss and my pastor and my friend, um, uh, he uh, sort of walked me through that and helped me get some help and things like that. And I actually um, benefited for a good bit off of mental health medicine, mm-hmm. which I've heard you speak on before. Um, I'm actually not on it anymore, um, which I think we might differ there. I ended up just having so many side effects that we couldn't figure out anymore. Um, We were just treating side effects for the last couple months, not last couple months, but the last couple months of using the medicine. And um, I got off. um, I had maybe one or two more depressive cycles. Um, And then I just think I engaged in a lot of uh, preventative care that sort of helped me, you know, not get to a point where I was cycling through those again. Um, And also, you know, I have such a good family and support system that if it does happen or I do go through, um, I think the technical bipolar two disorder is four days of hypomania, two weeks depression. So it really sucks to go through that, but side effects were just, I mean, so bad. They gotten such to a point that it wasn't helping anymore. Um, that's a little bit of my story. I'm off now. I think it's been, um, a couple months and it's not, you know, it's not something I'm congratulating myself for. I'm just listening to my body. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I thought I'd share a little bit. I'd love to hear um, where you are in all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you telling me that too. I, um, I honestly, my journey, if you will, with meds has been, I don't remember a lot of it because a lot of that time in early recovery is kind of murky to me. It just, mm. when you're malnourished, you just don't remember a lot, to be honest, which sounds yeah. so dark, but it's very true. Like there's some years in my life that are kind of fuzzy. Um, but I have been on meds for anxiety and depression since I would say early college. Um, I tried, yeah, a handful of different things. Mm -hmm. I definitely needed them at the time and kind of have slowly weaned off of a couple of them. My voice Mm. is cleared up. (laughs) (laughs) And so let me just make sure my computer is not there we go. 
Um, what's worked best for me is Lexapro. That's a very common SSRI for anxiety and depression. And that's what I'm on currently. And I thankfully haven't really had any side effects. I have to be careful when I take it just for sleepiness, drowsiness for the reasons, yeah. just driving. But I was very resistant to taking meds. It was suggested to me first in high school just for anxiety. And mm -hmm. I definitely had that belief of, oh my goodness, you know, there's something wrong with me if I have to take medicine. I'm not strong enough or something. Um, where I'm looking at it now, especially coming from a healthcare background at this point, I very much agree with you. Of like, I think for certain seasons, it's really helpful. I'm very pro-medicine, but I don't think it's appropriate to just slap it on all the time for no reason. And I definitely take a more natural approach, especially when it comes to women's health type of things, but that's a whole separate conversation. Um, yeah. For me, I took a break from my medicine for about almost a year last year, but just had a lot of life change, like had a job change, relationship stuff happening at the time that my anxiety really just flared up. And for me, lifestyle interventions wasn't enough. And so getting back on those meds earlier this year was really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. I was just having a lot of like panic episodes randomly. I had a lot of panic attacks in college and um, that was something that wasn't normal for me to happen again. And so mm -hmm. as that was creeping up again, that was kind of my warning sign of, I think we need something just baseline to lower our general anxiety because I do have generalized anxiety disorder as well. Um, so that's been helpful for me. That's something I hope to not be on forever. I think hmm. it's at least right now, just grad school, wedding, all of that. It's been really helpful just to take everything down a notch. Um, but yeah, I would love to, to be off of it one day. Oh, okay. So yeah, that would be part of the goal. Yeah. It's so hard. Um, because you know, you think of like any other things human struggles with, uh, you know, or you need medicine, you'll just take it. But for some reason, there's a stigma on this. Uh, what What do you think that is? I mean, I, I've experienced it a lot within my own faith communities. Um, yeah. And that contributed to why I waited so long to get medicine, which contributed yeah. to why I was on so many medicines at once because yeah. it was so far gone at that point. I, there was no way to be preventative. It was all right. like, you know, so... Yeah, I mean that that stigma. What what do you experience there in the in that realm? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I think it really depends on what you're dealing with specifically within mental health. Like there are just certain diseases that are a lot more stigmatized and I think especially anxiety and depression it's the most common ones, right? And so I think everyone's can say, "Oh yeah, not everyone, but oh yeah, I'm anxious, I'm depressed." It's a lot more okay to talk about versus even something like bipolar, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia. These are kind of those big ones that people are more scared of, I would say. Yeah. They're just they sound more intense, if you will, but it's I mean, people, we sometimes in clinical practice now call them like brain disorders or brain diseases, um, which I think is an interesting language shift um, that yeah. help some patients and families feel less scared of certain mental illnesses. And so I feel like right now we've seen a really interesting shift over the past, you know, five, 10 years, especially since yeah. COVID with the stigma really changing. Um, and that's something I'm really grateful for. I feel like, especially in faith spaces, um, we are seeing a lot less stigma and a lot more pastors and communities talking about mental health. And that's something I love. One of the main reasons I love Bright City is, you know, we're so open about that as well and how mental well-being is so important for spiritual well-being. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely, I internalized a lot of stigma just from my 
community and my family. I mean, we've have grown so much as a family and we're very open about mental health because pretty much yeah. everyone in my family struggles with it. But for a while, it was very much the just shove it under the rug. We have to be this perfect, happy little family, you know, kind of doing this for appearances. But it wasn't until me and my siblings like went through some really hard stuff that we were like, okay, nope, this is very real. And I think having my dad's a cardiologist. And so he's, you know, oh, very okay. much in that Western physical health world just didn't really, it took us all a while to kind of understand that mental health is just as serious, if not sometimes more serious than physical health in terms of yeah. risk of illness and death. Um, and so for us, it was seeing a lot of, you know, personal experiences in our family and friends that that shift happened. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was, um, a shift happened in not just my view, but my family as well. Um, when it started to get serious, you know, and it it stinks that, you know, for a lot of the stories I hear, it does have to get to that point before, you know, you start taking action. But I mean, just the barrier, I, I always talk about, you know, in ministry and, um, I'm, you know, technically a youth pastor right now. So, you know, I always want to create the less, the least amount of barriers for someone to get in the door, to feel comfortable, to be right. a part of the community. And um, I just think internally, especially with stigma um, around anxiety and depression, it's so hard. There's so many barriers internally to get to therapy, yeah. um, to get to, especially to get to psychiatric care. Yeah. Um especially if you might be the only one in your family struggling with it, um, which, you know, that's sort of, you might think you're the only one struggling with it in your family sometimes. And then you realize, wait, <laughs> you're probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I see some other thing you went through the, you know, so yeah. that sort of thing can come up too, but yeah, thanks for sharing about that. It, it's just so touchy. Um, it's less touchy now, but um, I think people will be surprised on, you know, yeah. the triggers that it can bring up, the stigma that's around it. Um, well, I'd love to hear about where you are in schooling because um, you've got some things in the future that we talked about a little bit early, but um, I'd love to hear about what the future looks like for incorporating all of your faith and lifestyle and um, ethics and everything and in schooling into, yeah. into the future. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as I'm sure you can tell, I've got a lot of different interests kind of all across the board and a lot of my even faith journey has been figuring out, okay, God, where are you calling me within all of this? And I love women's health. I love my faith, disordered eating experience, you know, mm -hmm. sexual ethics, like how do these all come together? And it's been really sweet over the past couple of years, just seeing my interests within school change to sort of reflect these experiences and see God kind of weave it all together. And so right now I'm in women's health nurse practitioner school. So it's yeah. getting my master's to be a nurse practitioner specializing in women's health. And I will graduate in May, um, which is crazy. It's been like two and a half right. years of schooling. <laughs> I've been in school off and on for so long now. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been wild. I went straight from my undergrad to nursing school for about a year and a half, getting a second bachelor's all the random noises <laughs> and worked for a as a nurse for a little bit and was exclusively in women's health. So I did women's oncology. I did labor and delivery, postpartum, um, all women's health things. And wow. so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a time I, yeah. High risk labor and delivery was whew, quite an experience. Um, yeah. thought I wanted to be a midwife for a while. And that was actually what I was in school for until I switched, um, 
to just nurse practitioner, but I have always really loved fertility and just helping women conceive and connection between infertility and eating disorders and disordered eating um, because there is a really strong connection there. And actually like published a paper with an old professor of mine a couple years ago on that connection and Mm -hmm. how um, providers can just be more aware for screening for disordered eating um, and their clients who are coming for infertility treatment. So kind of where I'm at now is how I see bridging, you know, passion for sexual ethics, disordered eating, just care for the body, all of that. And women's health is hopefully working in something called restorative reproductive medicine, which is this kind of more up and coming specialty. It's not an official medical specialty, but it is a framework for approaching infertility from a more natural perspective. And so it's a lot of using um, a woman's natural uh, signs of fertility to help either prevent pregnancy or help them conceive and helping to figure out what underlying health problems could be leading to difficulties conceiving. And it helps so many people from having to go pursue more invasive things like IVF and, mm. you know, treatments that can be really, really expensive and just not as accessible for a lot of people. And so it's something I'm really excited about. There aren't that many clinics that practice it, but there are a few <clears> in the area. So that's kind of where I'm thinking right now. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, what's the future of the YouTube and social media? Where are you going to go with that? (laughs) Great question. Right now, it is really just like a hobby passion project. I, it's still so small that it like, you know, can't really be something that's part of a career right now, but I'm hoping to, you know, get the YouTube channel monetized in the coming months is a big goal for me, um, which takes a while getting the, you know, thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours, a thousand. Yeah. So Mm. it's, but we're, we're slowly getting there, which is fun to see it grow um, even little bits. So hopefully get that monetized. I love YouTube. It's one of my favorite things. It has been just so much fun. Like I really, really enjoy it. And editing is really fun. I love seeing like editing skills get better over time. So that's something that I really enjoy and would love to, you know, make some sort of profit off of eventually just to be able to do that as kind of a a side hustle, if you will. Um, Dream would be to have my own clinic and really online practice that can become a clinic. Um, And then also do kind of social media, YouTube, blogging type things on the side that would be connected to that practice. And so making YouTube videos, you know, sponsored blog posts, selling products, things like that, that are all connected to lifestyle, yeah. but also women's health, faith, all of that kind of together. Yeah, that's awesome. I, that's what I love about what you're doing um, and loving keeping up with it. And I am like, I'm excited to hear you talk about this because I know you're going to share it and we're going to get to see like what it looks like. And um I just love how inclusive it is to faith and body and lifestyle. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I was your 400 subscriber on YouTube. You, I told you this yes. and uh, you're already at like 470. I mean, you're yeah, we're two weeks it. ago. Yeah. yeah. No, I got your message. I was like, thank you, Paxton. Yes. <laughs> Great. Whoever's 500, Justin, I, my fiance, I was like, can we do something for 500? Like go yeah. get ice cream, you know, go do something fun. So no, yeah, I'm really, yeah, yeah. and then hopefully yeah, next year I'm, you know, the well is my name right now for the kind of blog telehealth space that I want to create. Um, hopefully just, you know, bringing a faith perspective to women's health. I think it's something that's really missing in the women's health world. There's, mm. 
you know, we're taught as providers to be unbiased and not bring, you know, your faith and things into practice, which I think is very appropriate. But I also feel like there's so many Christian women who really want a provider who gets it. And especially in a space that's so intimate, like women's health, I think, you know, people do want someone who understands values that they're bringing and experiences and how, you know, your faith and sexuality are really connected. So I'm hoping that will be a space that kind of honors the people who, who want those things to be connected. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, you're the expert on all these things, or at least you're in the, you're about to be an expert when you go, I don't know. I don't know how you frame that, but my point is if anybody is watching and wants to, you know, learn about more of these things, um, where can they find you? We've already talked about it, but I'd love if you could yes. give all three or four where to find you. I'm like, what are they at this point? Um, <laughs> Instagram is Emily Ann Grinstead or at Emily Ann Grinstead. It'll probably be changed to, to get us pretty soon here once I get married. Go. Got to go through all the name change um, paperwork and stuff, which would love be crazy. This. Yeah, so fun. And then YouTube is also Emily. I think it's Emily Grinstead and not Emily Ann Grinstead. I should mm -hmm. know this for my own purposes. <clears throat> I think it is Emily Grinstead. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. And that's really it right now. I also have um, Well by Emily is an Instagram page that I'm going to start up at some point next year, probably summer or fall of next year once I'm licensed as an actual yeah. practitioner. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on today. If any of these piqued your interest, uh, listeners, go check out all her stuff and dive right in. She's got a ton of videos that you can watch on every subject we've talked about. So um, I'm excited to, excited to see what you keep doing and thank you for being on today. Of course, thank you so much.